Hey, Mike Palmer here. Thanks again for listening. This takes us back to our second of four episodes on the ESPN docuseries The Last Dance, which covers the 1998 season of the Chicago Bulls and their domination of 1990s basketball. Lots to draw from here. Tarlin and I are uh, beginning to ground into form. With that, let's throw to the theme music brought to you by our very own Ken Florence. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back to Running It Back, the Last Dance Breakdown Show. Mike Palmer here, joined by Tarlin Ray. Tarlin, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm a little sad. We are about to talk about episodes five and six, which means The Last Dance is almost over. We only had four more episodes. Yeah, this is the hump day episode. This is the middle piece of a five-parter. Welcome to Wednesday. Welcome to Wednesday of The Last Dance. Although it's only our second breakdown show, and it's going to finish with a bang, right? So spoiler alert, there's some uh, great episodes coming where they're just going to try to tie it all together. But uh, a lot going on. Episode five and episode six. Uh, this is where the the saga of the dream team comes into play. It's where Jordan's uh, shoe deals uh, come in, his uh, relationship with Kobe, his relationship with the Knicks, Charles Barkley and the Phoenix Suns super team that wasn't. Lots of stuff going on in both of these episodes and lots of lessons to be learned, right? So we're watching it for the pure uh, entertainment value, but then we're also trying to come away as better people with some illustrative lessons. Tarlin, I know some of that, uh, some of this stuff resonated with you. You're a Lakers fan. Yeah, you gotta start with the Kobe moment. Episode five starts with Kobe. Thoughts? Amazing, really hard to see Kobe on screen, obviously after his untimely death, I think. A lot of Laker fans, it was great just to see him back as an 18, 19-year-old trying to make a name in the league, an early all-star, and willing to not wait his turn to have his place among the pantheons of the greats out there, but to go after it as quickly as possible. But, but my main takeaway, we grew up thinking that Kobe was trying to just mimic all of, Michael, be Michael Jordan, the way he walked, way chew gum, mm-hmm. a little bit of swagger, his shots. And at the end of the day, he wasn't doing that because he wasn't trying to be himself. He was doing that because he was trying to emulate someone he thought was the greatest of all time. Yep. And so what stuck with me was Kobe, who's an outsized talent, was if anyone wants to learn about what it takes to be a great mentee mm-hmm. and, and seek out a mentor, he is a classic case of someone who showed some desire. He got Jordan, at the height of his power, 35-year-old, he's 18-year-old, and he did everything he could to make sure he could learn from Michael. Yeah. From um, studying him, badgering him to try to get his phone number, and and finally getting Michael to relent to give him his phone number, texting him at all hours, asking him in-game to show him some footwork. So it shows that people don't do this alone. The greats, you don't just come out of the womb and you can you figure it all out. The ones who are truly great ask for help. The ones who are truly great get help because if to be a great mentee, you have to show up. You have to be willing to put in the work. 
and you ask great questions and show desires, mentors that are always out there willing to help. So I just, I loved what that mentor mentee relationship that no one knew yeah. as the world is comparing Kobe to Jordan, the two of them didn't care because Kobe was trying to steal those moves from Jordan so he could be great himself. So it was awesome. Yeah. And it's a nice finishing point on Jordan's eulogy for Kobe, which was the new crying Jordan meme. Was Michael kind of reclaiming some of his public stature by being graceful and genuine and authentic during uh, Kobe's eulogy? after it really starting to surface the relationship that he had with Kobe, which many of us didn't really realize. And then to see that more fully fleshed out in The Last Dance, I think made it real. It is interesting though, to your point, I agree 100% that it's, it's so critical to be able to ask for help and then not to be shy about asking for more help, especially when you find someone who you know will be a willing partner. I think it is interesting that, to the best of my knowledge, they're not showing Jordan finding that Aside from maybe Phil, like Phil kind of let him be him and Doug Collins let him be him. But like the relationship that Jordan established with Kobe, you didn't get the sense that he really was looking to someone. He saw Bird and Magic ahead of him, but it's not like they were mentoring him. They were his rivals. So it is interesting that Kobe was able to benefit from Jordan as a mentor, whereas Jordan didn't seem to have that as much. At least I haven't seen that thus far. And I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. I think that's part of it. And you mentioned a little Phil. He may not be, you know, Phil played back in the day, but I truly do think that was Phil was that for Michael. Mm -hmm. It may be part of the reason that when we're at the last dance, he said he wouldn't play for another coach. Right. Bulls. Right. Because he was the guy that helped. Uh, we've talked about it in the last episode, Jordan was willing to change, was willing to take the ball out of his hands. And he got right. someone that was willing to push and prod him in, in a new and unique way. Yeah. Did not have that on the court. Right. He was just trying to take, he was trying to, he was trying to rip people's throats out. He was <laughs> He's to... such a competitor. And th that was the other component. So a lot to be learned from the Kobe story. It's nice to see the, the relationship there. We were talking a little bit in the setup to Jordan and his maniacal competitiveness certainly comes through here, but there was enough distance, uh, the 17 years you were talking about, uh, his junior and Kobe, there was enough distance that Jordan was at a point in his career where he could see the next generation's version of himself in Kobe, and he was actually willing to be a mentor to Kobe in a way that he wouldn't, he wouldn't really be able to be that type of a mentor to his contemporaries. So like, it was, he wasn't mentoring Carl Malone or, Clyde Drexler or or Charles Barkley in the way that he's he was mentoring Kobe so that is definitely a window into Jordan as the alpha competitor right I mean that's really except if you're actually gambling with him in which case he may be a little <laughs> bit more of a beta but uh, but thoughts thoughts on the competitive aspect because that comes up pretty quickly into this show uh, as well and then maybe as we segue we can say on Kobe as long as you like, because I want to respect your, you know, he's a big deal to you. Lakers are a big deal to you. But, uh, but I think it's interesting to think about it as a window into Jordan, where he reached a point where he was ready to give back, and then he saw the rising talent in Kobe as enough of a, a V2 of Jordan that he could really give some of his secrets away because he didn't really the, – the, the, the idea of them playing each other one-on-one -on -one in a fair match – 
it was already past Jordan's prime by the time uh, Kobe was really ready. 100%, but remember in 98, he's, he's about to go win his last championship. Mm-hmm. He is still going to compete with him on the, on the court, but no one is propping him up as that guy that could be the next Jordan or a Drexler. Or, right. There's no, nothing in the paper yet for him to take it as a slight to try to crush him. Right. One of the things you're touching on is his competitive drive and that, you know, people have addicted personalities. That is, that is his addiction. Mm-hmm. He is addicted. He gets energy, he gets juice out of competition. We saw mm-hmm. it. We talked about it in the setup. Just the moment with the security guards playing just that simple game, quarters against the wall. Yeah. And the one guard who takes Jordan for $20, that's my – he is now my favorite guy yeah. of all time. Yeah, yeah. But, he's, the, he's the only guard who took Jordan's money. Guard, there you go. <laughs> but – it is, it is amazing to think whether it's cards, quarters, golf, mm-hmm. he just needed to feel like yeah. he was always in the arena and mm-hmm. trying to best the one. Yeah, I and mean, so, it's, it's coming ahead too, but even switching over to baseball, which I think we're going to see more in uh, the, the last few seasons, is the same idea. It was like he was – there are reasons why it was clear that he had to leave – basketball for and we'll get into that a little bit later on but like the idea that he was like okay what's another thing that I could do to show that I can compete on any level it was even talk in the early days it went away pretty fast that he maybe he goes pro as a golfer later on that never that was talk from him mainly I mean I'm not saying there was a lot of like reason only a lot if you can smoke a cigar on the course the other thing is do we really need to see a lot of baseball with swinging and missing I mean (laughs) Right. Well, we'll cut that. I'm assuming that'll be episode seven and eight. Or probably. Hopefully it's a little flashback. Hey, he play baseball. <laughs> <laughs> but the competitive drive is crazy. And that brings me to the other aspect of, I think it was episode five, when they start talking about the dream team. And that was really where among the most competitive basketball players, the most talented and competitive basketball players in the world, they come together for Team USA us sending amateurs to the Olympics to lose was no longer uh, going to be something that Team USA was going to allow. So 1992, we're sending pros. We're assembling the greatest team that's ever been put together. How that team comes together, who's in, who's out, is part of this. And how Jordan emerged out of that forge of those practices as the undisputed Alpha of Alpha. Must be the heavyweight champ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, thoughts on the whole dream team? Because that's also where t- Tony Kukoc comes in, right? So, you wanted, you were signaling last time Tony's story is going to come back. So, let's pivot into the the dream team part of the story. Thoughts dream team is awesome. Remember, we are probably only a year year after Magic. I still remember where I was mm-hmm. um, when he announced that he had HIV. Yep just come out of practice myself in high school. Mm-hmm. So he is now with that team. Isaiah is the biggest snub. You could go and say Shaq was a snub because mm-hmm. he was so dominant coming out of college. But Also because they, they took Leitner. But, but Duke was the team, America's team. Yeah. Leitner was the top player on Duke. Mm-hmm. So hard to quibble with that. He was a winner. Sure. Right. And you needed someone who would stand in the corner and not yeah. make waves. You needed your 90210 character. Yeah. Right. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> you need Luke. Luke Perry was there. You need hey, Luke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look a little exactly. old for high school. Yeah. But hey, why don't you hang out for a little while? So 
amazing for Jordan to hit that conversation on, which is, did you have anything to do with Isaiah not making a team? Yeah. When asked, when he's asked to join the team and his question is who's going to be on the team and it, Rod Thorne infers that he's like, oh, don't worry, that guy's not going to be on the team. That seems like a squishy conversation. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. two things that he did say, which I think Jordan doesn't hand out a lot of accolades. One, outside of Magic, he thought Isaiah was the second best point guard that he's played against. Mm-hmm. That says a lot. Yeah. Does he hate him? Yes. But he mm-hmm. still thought he was the second best point guard. Right, right. The second piece with Isaiah, because he thought uh, there's such a bond amongst the dream teamers, was that Isaiah – would have been, he didn't use these words, but they see what he's intimating, would have been a bad cultural fit. Yeah. And so I took this away, because you got sports, I think, leads you, you learn a lot from sports, but if you look at being in business, yeah, um, working, if you're joining a new company, you're an Coll- employer. Being a collaborator, right? Yeah, yeah. Collaborator. Having, being an unbelievable star, but being a bad cultural fit is always awful for your organization. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what Jordan was saying. So I get that. I get if it wasn't, if there's, there's animosity weaving, not only through with Jordan, but Pippen and Magic. Yeah. There's just a lot of guys, Bird, just yeah. stand them. Right. Bird and Mullum are on the, you weren't necessarily in their prime, but right. you'd rather take them because you knew there'd be a great cultural fit. So I thought that was really telling. And I guess the last piece on the, the dream team was I really wish we were, we televised the Monte Carlo practices. Oh my so, God. So speaking of slights, most people know Magic and Barkley on the same team. Jordan was another team. Magic and Barkley mm-hmm. were up at least nine on their way to really blowing out Jordan's squad. Mm-hmm. And at some point, Magic said, if you don't watch out, if you don't turn an air, Jordan, we're going to blow you out. And Magic and others said, they've never seen someone flip a switch. Yeah. Dominate. Oh, my God. That practice. Mm-hmm. At which point, they all board the bus at the end of practice and everyone's silent. And I think it was Magic said, well, I guess we now know who is king. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so that's a ton of respect, not only with, like, you think you go to Olympics and you sort of just phone it in, but to have these guys competing so hard to go to Olympics, like to play against other, it was amazing. Not to mention what he was doing at the tables in Monte Carlo the night before. Whole other conversation, also interesting. And, And then... To have them mic'd up for that, the, the trash that must have been talked. Because, like, when I play, like, we play basketball. You were a better basketball player. I've already conceded that, arguably. It's a pretty simple argument. You played you better basketball than me. I was pretty good at running my mouth, though. Like, I could yep. talk. And I, I didn't mind having the conversation. And what I love about a lot of these players, Jordan included, they could talk. Bird was notorious trash talker. Magic didn't mind talking. Barkley. Forget about it. Barkley? Barkley could Barkley still can't stop talking. He's not he hasn't played in, in 20 years. He's still still a brilliant with running his mouth. And the idea that there are players who either get better when they talk or get worse. And there are people who get better when you talk or get worse. Right. And Jordan was like, he's the type of guy just don't talk to him. whatever you do, don't wake that guy up. If he's asleep, don't poke the bear. Don't be like, don't hey, I know I noticed you're having a bad game, Michael. Bad decision. Bad decision. So, uh, so ranking guys who did the most talking the least. Here's a guy that didn't say a word. Right. John Stockton. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of need it. D- David Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> Just right. silent. Right. Patrick, my, we'll talk Knicks a little bit in a, in a second. 
Patrick could talk a little bit. Patrick, Patrick, he kept it mostly to himself because Patrick just would just get, he would just look angry and he would physically intimidate you because he was so huge. But he had a good sense of humor. He was, he also, the chemistry point that you're making about Isaiah was pretty good too, I think, in that these were amazing players who still were able to unite and play together. And it reminds me of Adam Grant's book, Give and Take, yeah. which same same thing around team chemistry where there are givers and there are takers. And, and then there are, are matchers, you know, people, they, you know, quid pro quo, you give me something, I'll give you something. Like we'll figure out how to barter together and, and sort of form a team together. But the idea that at least at that level, Isaiah would not have blended with, all of them were, were the alphas on their team, but they still were able to come together and form this team dynamic that was, that was really transformational and that Jordan was the alpha among alphas is, is really incredible. The flip side is what Isaiah and Lambeer and Mahorn in particular were able to do, and Rodman had a little bit of this in his origin story, is to really not care what anybody else thinks. So like they, nope. they, and the fact that he got frozen out, you can tell it still hurts Isaiah that he got frozen out, but he still doesn't apologize really for walking off the way they walked off because the Celtics walked off the same way for the Pistons. So it's tough to get behind Isaiah hundred percent, but if you actually think about where he's coming from, there is a moral consistency to how he operated which, which basically makes you have to buy into the, the bad boys. And for two-time champions, that team is not really loved much. Not really loved and not really talented. Yeah, yeah. you have in the early days. Yeah. You still yeah. have Dumars. And, mm-hmm. But in terms of all-world talent, I mean, Lambeer was lunch pail, hard hat, you know, Chuck right. Sally, Mahorn. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys two- weren't dunking. They weren't jumping out of the gym. Yeah. They were they were credit card leapers. They would bully you. They yeah. it's a, sort of under the ribs that you can't see, and they just they just got the job. They were they're the fundamental team with Isaiah with the little flash. Yeah, microwave Vinny could hit some jumpers, but there was a they, lot of flash to that they were yeah, just they, they well were coach Chuck yeah. Daly and go good team basketball too. Which which also I'm not an Isaiah apologist to an extreme, but like the fact that he could get that team together to perform that way does show that he's not exclusively bad chemistry. He was part of one of the all-time great chemistry teams in terms of, like, swinging above their weight. The fact that That's they what could, you think he was the true leader. I mean, always a point guard, but it was a Dumars. Was it Lambeer? Yeah, it was, yeah or a combination. And Dumars... They have walked off the court because Lambeer said, we're going to do this. It's true. So who, who was, who carried, who was, who wore the, who wore the seat? For, for so, sure. But you can't, you can't argue that the Pistons would have won the two championships without Isaiah, whether, well, whether he was the leader or not. Like, I had it, Isaiah poster on my wall. Yeah. Did you have it the shorts too, or, or no? Well, it's Kevin Johnson, Isaiah. Yeah. Barkley. Yeah. What do you mean the shorts? They're all the shorts. <laughs> the other thing real quick as we move on though, but uh, when you were mentioning the magic, I still, it's sort of like flashbulb memory for me when Magic, the press conference, when he came out as uh, HIV positive. For me, when, when I heard the tragic news about Kobe, that was the closest thing to me taking me back to when I first heard that Magic had HIV. Because at the time, that sounded like a death sentence. 100%. And now, 30, 30 years later, Magic is thriving. Thriving. Unbelievable. Unbelievable stuff. So 
Last thing on the dream team, though, that was where the Tony Kukoc narrative comes in. Kukoc. Lots to learn on the Kukoc side of, side of the house. So uh, some quick thoughts on, on Tony. Love when you, so Jordan is one of the few, so in the episode, always seems like he doesn't care. He's sitting in his chair. Yeah. Drinking something, a little mm-hmm. cigar. Panda Kukoc, he's got the same vibe. Yeah. And the best part about it, because all we read in the paper leading up to this game was how much Jordan and Pippen hated Kukoc. They were right. going to try to take him out because Kraus loved Kukoc. Kukoc didn't even know. Right. So in the first game leading up to the gold medal round, he got destroyed. I mean, Pippen and Jordan picking up Kukoc full court. Right. Uh, telling the guys no one has Tony but us. Right. And he's, if Jordan and Pippen were, and I'm not going to even look it up, I, I'm, 100%, I'm 100% sure this is right. At some point, they were both first-team All-NBA, and I think they were first-team All-NBA coming out of that season. Yeah. Maybe also, I think they both were All-NBA defense. That's what I meant, All-NBA yeah. defense. Yeah, That's yeah. What I mean. yeah. So, Kukoc doesn't have a good game. Right. But I was talking to a buddy after that, and he said, listen, the reason Kukoc came back in the gold medal game and had 16 points, yeah. six assists, like yeah. played a good game, this is a guy who's living in a war-torn yeah. area. Yeah, yeah. Dodging bullets. Right. So to be on a basketball court and have a couple of guys being a little physical with him, he's like, okay. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize they're going to come out that hard. So he right. just adjusted. So it right. says a lot about Tony. Didn't back down to be able to then go and join a star-studded team like the Bulls and play with play with Jordan. Mm-hmm. Says a lot about him. Yeah. So I I appreciate I didn't see that that part of Tony. Yeah. I love USA was destroying him because we built up Tony to be this evil monster. But I love seeing that backstory. Yeah. How, you know, coming up for it, your upbringing is everything. And he had a different perspective, like playing basketball was probably just a safe haven. And there's yeah. nothing bad that can happen to the basketball court. Right. And when that can intimidate him, it's a lot different than being at war. Yeah. So. And it's a reminder that Jordan could motivate himself by singling an enemy out and destroying them. And whether it was Tony Kukoc or Jerry Krause or Isaiah, the list continues to go on and on there was always somebody who had there's a chip on his shoulder going all the way back to getting cut as a sophomore there was always some reason for him to work harder for him to 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 drive that competitive instinct within him and and he could get his team to buy into that as well we were saying when we were setting up here too like having jerry Krause as his fallback foil the guy who he could be motivated by is very much about what drives Michael to be the best. Sometimes, he's also a bit of a bully, let's be real about it too. So like choosing Tony Kukoc, you know, who is the second best player on Croatia? Not sure, but the fact that Scotty and Michael together could shut down the best player on the other team is a little bit of, you know, it's, it's very much the way pickup basketball works, where you, like, if the team is just so much better than the other side, it's easy to send a message to the best player on the other team. So yep. there is a little bit of the bully in Michael, but, but also there's something to be learned around how he was able to motivate himself and motivate his teammates. I'll also say this was, these shows, these are kind of the hater age shows in the series as well. There is a lot of knocking at Michael. And I've gotten that as I've talked to people about this show too. Like there are people who refuse to watch it, which I was surprised to hear. There are still folks who have 
Jordan hatred oh, from, wow. from back in the day. And I was, I was surprised to hear that. I kind of want to get some of the Jordan haters on the show because, you know, a lot of folks don't like, you know, the Republicans buy sneakers too. Buy sneakers too, yep. The gambling, the, the, the dubious exit, you know, which again, what we'll get into, I think, next shows. But there are people who still, conspiracy theories abound about Jordan. And, and folks do like to knock him because of the, the faults. You know, punch Will Purdue, ultra competitive, gambling problem, went to Atlantic City with his dad, you know, was into selling shoes more than taking a political stand. All those criticisms, I, I, I'm glad that they're incorporated into the documentary because it could have been more of a fluff piece about how amazing Jordan was. I think you start to see more of the full human in this show than, I, than maybe I was expecting. And I would encourage those of you who have been drinking deep of the Jordan Haterade, watch a couple of these episodes. I'd say watch episode five, especially, where there, there's both Jordan hate, but there's also his, his cultural influence around shoe culture and hip hop and what it meant to be cool in the, in the 80s into the 90s. It's easy to forget all that, and it's easy to forget how much that changed the world that we live in today. The way people think about sneakers, the way people think about hip-hop culture, Spike Lee may never have been Spike Lee if it weren't, weren't for Mars Blackman. Gotta be the shoes. It's gotta be the shoes. Any thoughts on sneaker culture? Because we haven't had a chance to, to get into that. Well, before I hit sneaker culture, I think one of the things, especially episode five, it just showed what Jordan cared about. And so people who hate Jordan are then expecting Jordan to do certain things or care about the things that they think are important. Yeah. And he was a basketball player. Mm -hmm. And that was number one, two, three, four, five. Mm -hmm. And so if he, yeah, I mean, he was not politically active. He at one point should have listened to his mom. We should talk about Jordan's mom as we lead up to Mother's Day mm -hmm. when we get into sneaker culture. But Jordan was who he was and people celebrated him for being on the fly to do the unbelievable feats he could do on yeah. the basketball court. Yeah. At some point, Charles Barkley is quoted as saying, I am not your role model. Right. And he was speaking truth well before other people. Like, right. I, I'm a basketball player. I'm literally like a little bit of a superhero because of that. But if you want the rest of my life to piece together neatly to fit what you hope this perfect individual will be, then yeah. you're looking in the wrong place. Yeah. In terms of sneaker culture, shout out to moms because mm -hmm. I no one knows. I mean, the fact that just looking back at old commercials, forgot that Converse dominated yes. and had all the top you yeah. know, players. Jordan, Mark Aguirre, and Bird, Bird, and, of Magic, Bird, Magic. Bird Magic, Bird Magic, they're, they're one of the best commercials ever. Then mm -hmm. Reebok was sort of there, but not there. Yeah. The fact that Jordan loved Adidas, but they yeah. just couldn't afford to right. really promote Jordan. And at Nike, a running shoe company. Right. And A, Jordan picked to go with a you know, Nike running shoe company. And then B, Jordan's being rep by David Falk, who represented tennis players, Arthur mm -hmm. Ashe, mm -hmm. Connors. Mm -hmm. The fact that Jordan never wanted to go to Nike to fly to Beaverton and get the get pitched, mm -hmm. and his mom was the one that forced him to go, yeah, is crazy. 
right. been for him to sign a deal, which is two times more, more than any other deal shoe deal out there. Right. And then for them to project to sell $3 million of shoes in their first year and they sell $126 million. Oh my God. It's over. Yeah. And Jordan shoes, it just became, I still remember do the right thing where the guy in the bird shirt stops on shoes, but it just became exploded. So you talk about sneaker culture. Jordan was the first, that icon in Nike. I still remember Iverson mm-hmm. signing with Reebok. Yeah. And I bet on Reebok because I thought Iverson, which he was a totally coming from yeah. a totally background. When they do an that, when they do an Iverson docu series, we'll 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 run it back then. Yeah, we'll run it back. The problem yeah. is those shoes sucked. The answer, the answer two, they just sucked. So, anyways, so I, I think people forget the impact that Jordan has, and Jordan, you know, the reason he is worth billions of dollars and can own mm-hmm. um, uh, the Bobcats is because of the Jordan brand and right. shoes. It all comes. It's it's got to be the shoes. Yeah, it's about the shoes. Well, I, I mean, and it does speak to his genius, which you know is part of what he gets knocked for is he, in terms of how he could parlay his brand into endorsements. No one ever did it as well as him. Even if you think Be Like Mike, which was part of what drove a lot of the, the vitriol towards him, because when people started to say, you know, it's like when you get fly too close to the sun, it's not just that you burn your wings, it's that people start shooting slingshots at you. Like people want to bring you back down. But like the idea that what got him up there was single-minded focus on, I'm going to be the best basketball player ever, and I will look out for my commercial interests and my brand because that is going to be as much how I earn as basketball is. It's easy to knock that as, you know, mercenary and too, too focused on your own financial interests. But had he not done that, the upside of being LeBron James would never have been as great as it is. After Muhammad Ali, who sort of created the celebrity athlete culture, no one really got a, got to this next level until Jordan. And then since Jordan, you know, we talked a little bit, maybe Tiger got there. LeBron is arguably there now. But, but he sort of reinvented what you could do as a brand, as an endorser. And he, did, he was very conscious, consciously making a choice to do that, even over standing up for social causes which is now becoming more how LeBron is defining himself. So there is a lot of who is the GOAT and a lot of revisionist history now around like what LeBron is able to do versus what Michael actually did. I think it's easy to lose sight of the fact that Michael created a whole new quantum level of celebrity and media presence that people have only been able to replicate. Nobody has really gone. I don't think you can go further than that. You nope. know? And imagine you talk about protecting the brands you're associated with. Just go back to the Olympics when mm-hmm. he refused to walk out in the Reebok sweatsuit and he covered the Reebok brand with the American flag. Stylishly. Stylishly, stylishly. stylishly draped it. I mean, draped, it, it, draped, draped over, draped over short. But that's I mean, whether it's McDonald's, Gatorade, and I know you want to sing the song. I yeah. He is me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, everyone knows that. And boom, Nike. Boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> protect, protect the brand. You know, it's interesting. You had to be, and Mom Ali was different. He wasn't, you know, there weren't massive endorsements behind him. He was just a celebrity athlete. Mm-hmm. Jordan was tiptoeing because he didn't know what the reaction would be to him probably 
not that it was in his mind, that probably wasn't thinking about, but be more socially active. Now brands actually celebrate that, whether you look at the Kaepernick's of the world mm -hmm. or supporting the Miami Heat players who yeah. uh, wore hoodies out um, in support mm -hmm. of Trayvon Martin. So yep, yep. it's a different era, but to, to your point, no one from, from 84 on can build a brand associated with a major shoe company where they have massive ownership and it just mm -hmm. continues to drive outsized revenue for him, even yeah. though he hasn't laced it up since what? a one. Yeah. And then the success of the nineties in terms of the NBA success, the people who made all this money on endorsements, they were all riding the dream team was another great marketing effort to, for the NBA to go global. So like, it's all really some canny business vision that Jordan, he was a savant in terms of managing his own brand, arguably at the expense of being politically active in the way that we would want him to be in a modern day. But and he was also singularly focused on being the best basketball player ever. Anything that would get in the way of either his commercial interests or his ability to be the best basketball player ever would take a, take a back seat. And it actually gets a little sad, you know, like when he's lying on the couch in the hotel room, basically trapped by his own celebrity, it is setting the table for him to leave. And I know that'll be coming in, in the subsequent episodes. But, but you do get a little bit of a window into the stress that he was under and how it was hard to be that big a personality. And I just think there are some life lessons to learn from there. For me, that's why I'm choosing not to be a, a, a transcendent uh, celebrity. Right, you know, like, of course. Because, uh, like, you know, I thought about it and I've, I've decided to maybe take a back seat. You, you mentioned, so it's interesting, you started talking about no one can sort of replicate what Jordan did. He had sort of outsized influence on the NBA. His little brother, though, if you think about it, and God rest his soul, Kobe was one of the first to go to China and mm -hmm. spend a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of China, time in China. Mm -hmm. And so that was Dream Team created a lot of international um, interests. I'm a diehard NBA draft. Used to know the top 60 players because they were all in college basketball. And you started to see the flow of, who's that guy? Who's, who's that? who are these people <laughs> like trying to figure out who the international players are yeah so i think kobe was a little transcendent there and then you have guys like Dwayne wade mm -hmm. who signed not with nike not with adidas not with reebok but signed with Li Ning, mm -hmm. a chinese shoe company and when he's there it is like it's it is the biggest thing ever yeah, so yeah. You have guys that are taking pieces of the playbook. There's only mm -hmm. so much you can get to be the next Nike shoe guy. Only right. so much Duran can get. Right. Only so much Westbrook can get. Right. So you got to start branching out and looking at new frontiers. Take a little risk. Yeah. A little bit of risk. Big markets and take some bets. And it takes time and energy. And Kobe used to go there all the time. And Dwayne does that now as well. Mm -hmm. And Jordan did flip it to be the players really having the power more so than even ownership, arguably, in the NBA, which is very different from, say, the NFL. So lots of, lots of credit him in terms of, like, the, the power of the transcendent player as really the driver of the growth of the NBA. It started with Magic and Bird, but really Jordan took it to another level. And then arguably Kobe 
picked up the torch in the early 2000s, maybe with a little help from Iverson and others, and then uh, Tim Duncan. Shaq, Tim Duncan. Shaq, yeah, but then, and now LeBron and this next generation. So it's a really interesting lineage there. We're coming up on time, but I got to say, Stark's dunk made it in, which is good, as did Charles Smith getting blocked repeatedly. So as a Knicks fan, I think I'm officially through the grieving process that I can watch. Did you think you are going to win? Did you think you had a chance? Yes, yes. Don't get me started. Like, I understand the Knicks fans who are not watching because it's too hard. I understand. But, I mean, it's been 25 years. You can get over it. And I'm still waiting for when there's a documentary about the 90s Knicks. We'll definitely run it back on that, too. Because, like, that, that, needs, that needs its own documentary. I think yeah, that's, next, a, that's a bad watch. <laughs> well, we are going to cover a little bit of OJ and John Starks and the relationship there. So that's the Knicks. Enough said on that. I want to get your thoughts on the Suns team. You mentioned Kevin Johnson earlier. And, uh, you know, the one we're setting up, it's going right through the 93 series, which I still remember. And our boy John Paxson makes another appearance. Big game, John. But, uh, but thoughts. Thoughts about that, that team, series. I still remember that team. That team was pretty, I mean, pretty dominant. Mm-hmm. Thunder, Thunder Dan, Danny Ainge. Looking mm-hmm. at Danny Ainge now. Look, uh, looking at now versus then. He was... He was a guy you hated. You hate, I hate him on the Celtics team. He yeah. Never bit, he bit Tree Rollins' ear, right? Yeah. yeah. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Johnson. I mean, that Suns team, I remember, won 60 games. I mean, they were dominating people fast. Mm-hmm. And Barkley was, I think he had, you know, at times he had some weight issues, but he really slimmed down. He really was, he was ready. MVP that year. Yeah. So yeah. the fact that they lost that series and when – Barkley's coming, going with triple doubles. It just takes an, an otherworldly focus from Jordan, and he carried that team on his back. Him and John Paxson, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paxson hit the last shot. So it's really it's interesting. It's not like Jordan had to go through weak teams to get through and win these series. He's running up against – I mean, Portland had a pretty dominant team. The Knicks. Um, the, yeah, the Knicks had a good team. The Suns had a dominant yeah. team. And for, for Barkley to say it was the first time ever in my life that I, someone was better than me on the basketball court, Yeah, it says a lot. Now, yeah. sad to know that Barkley and Jordan, who were the closest of friends, and Barkley yeah. went on air most, mostly and criticizing Jordan for his, his results as an owner, which mm-hmm. if you look at his track record, it's awful. Mm-hmm. And since then, they have no longer, they're no longer speaking. Yeah. But that was Barkley – at a, at a 6'5", power forward at his all-time superpower. Yeah. Still can't believe people couldn't stop him. Mm-hmm. Quick, off, quick off his feet, could run the court. Mm-hmm. The early stretch power forward, hitting mm-hmm. threes. Right. Wearing the, I don't remember why he was wearing the um, look like a knee, the volleyball knee brace elbow pad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, great series, but you realize that the, the, you think it happened easily, but the, the Bulls were down. They weren't always up in their series. Yeah, they had to claw back, which shows the B.J. Armstrong. I, I talked about in the first show. I thought the Ron Harper quote was my favorite. I think my favorite of the episodes five and six was B.J. Armstrong when he said Jordan was playing a different game. Everyone was playing the game, and he was just figuring out how to win. Yeah, and that says everything. Right. So, and you could see it taking over the end of games, mm-hmm. shutting down their their number one opponent. We'll see the end of the Jazz series in '98. Him stripping Malone and then coming hit the last shot. So we'll see that later. Yeah, yeah. Shadowing. But so that's my take on the Suns. And that yeah, my, man. My- yeah. So a ton to learn, uh, a ton 
still ahead of us, even though this was our hump day in terms of the, the 10 episodes we're six in. There's also some rewatchable quality to this just to ramp up. We got to figure out if we're going to put a quiz together to figure out if our listeners are really paying attention. So a lot going on. We've covered 60% of the 90s uh, bulls by this point. That's, you know, six of 10 episodes. We got 40% left. We're going to talk about 20% of it next week. Uh, what are you expecting in, uh, in episodes seven and eight? I expect a deep, long section on Luke Longley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you think you're yeah 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 i do expect and we talked about this in the setup that they will touch on baseball and mm-hmm. i just hope they don't it's painful <laughs> to watch him scrape around and it's like watching tim tebow well yeah and his comeback though is interesting because he wasn't i didn't realize he was he wasn't gone that long and he came back as number 45 i forgot about that whole thing that's a good call i i think that is like what it meant, like what was going on in his head to mm-hmm. leave. Yeah. What got him to come back? Yeah. And what was that like? Like reorient yourself to basketball, which is he didn't. You know, he had a step slow. Yeah. Um, Pippen had ascended. He was dominant. Yeah. yeah. Um, and leading the team. So I'm curious if they're going to touch on any of that. Him coming, bring this team back. Because remember, what led the first repeat was losing to the Pistons. Mm-hmm migraine game and that set them up for that three-year run so i'm yeah. curious what sets them up for their next three-year run right we cast the characters now with ron harper now with rodman now with the aforementioned luke longley yeah and now with kerr playing the paxson role yeah yeah what sets them up for this new run is it phil yeah what's the motivation so that's right. what i'm looking for yeah i'm looking forward to it and uh we'll be back breaking it down tarlin ray thanks again for joining Always happy to be here. Always happy to have you. And uh, thanks again to our listeners. You're going to learn to love some running it back as we talk about the last dance. Thanks again for listening.